change in our second half is so difficult for many of us. And we have opportunities that we may not even see are before us. And in today's episode, we're discussing and talking about how the practice of yoga can help you embrace change, find your voice, honor your needs, and take a chance on your second half of life. Hi, it's Heike, and I'm super excited that you're here with me today again and my guest for today. But before we dive in, please check out the Ultimate Intermittent Fasting Guide for Beginners. I will leave a link in the show notes. If you are interested in starting intermittent fasting and combine it with a practice of Pilates exercises that don't take all day, but only 15 minutes a day, I got you. I'll leave a link in the show notes. So let's dive into today's interview with my expert guest. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower empty nester moms over 50 to take back their health and strength to feel vibrant in their second half of life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of empty nester moms around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and reliable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring guests who share their honest stories on how they went from their worst to their best in life so that you know you're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Well, hi, everyone. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Her name is Dagmar Sprengberg. She's a 500-hour E-R-Y-T. For all of those who don't know what the heck that is, it's a registered yoga teacher, which means two years and at least a thousand hours of teaching. She's a yoga entrepreneur and the founder of Montezuma Yoga in Costa Rica. While growing up in Germany, all she could envision for herself was a life in the sunshine and under the palm trees. After 20 years of soul searching and many detours, which I'm sure you will hear about it, uh, that led her to explore the city of Los Angeles and New York. And she found her dream life by the beach in the lush and tropical nature of Costa Rica. Through her own experience, she learned and believes that everybody can live their dreams and that our work is to become clear and open to receive the gifts we all deserve. Dagma leads international retreats and online in addition to her jungle yoga class on YouTube. Welcome to the podcast, Dagma. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. I also want to give out a shout out to our mutual friend. 
Sharon Ofberg. She has been the connection to several of my podcast guests here on the show. So I am super excited that we got connected through her and Sharon just recently reached out and she said, I am so excited you're meeting all these awesome women that I met. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, yes. <laughs> so Dagmar, tell us, what are you most passionate about? Um, I would say I'm most passionate about, about connection. Like I really, really love connecting people and it's my biggest joy. And I've always been really, really good at it. Very similar to Sharon. It's like one person would say, I'm looking for somebody to do this and this. And then I'm like, wait a minute, like, Somebody just told me about it last week and I'm always constantly connecting people in that way. And I personally thrive on connection and that's why I love teaching yoga because I think my biggest joy is bringing people together and creating a space for people to have a beautiful experience of themselves, a transformation and uh, maybe some inspiration and shift of perspective because I know how powerful that was in my life. So creating community, Enjoying connection, I would say, are like my biggest passions. And of course, the practice of yoga. How did you, or let, let me backtrack. What did you do before there was yoga for you? I actually, I grew up in Germany and I was, uh, I studied social work, social pedagogic, which was my nightmare. So already when I was 19, I was like, this is so not me. And I was lucky to find my way into working for a concert agency. So I started driving around bands in minivans back in the day. So that was in the 80s and uh, in Germany, uh, Switzerland and Austria. So I was like the band manager and I did that for like two years or so. And then I um, met people from the management of Marius Müller-Westernhagen and Grünemeyer. I mean, only the German listeners will know who that is and basically started to do promotion and uh, radio promotion. And so that led me for many, many years to travel all around Germany back in the days before the internet. So uh, lots of stories to tell there when the music business was thriving. And I was basically head of promotion in the end and basically connecting, again, connecting people, working with musicians, um, going to the radio stations, working with record labels. Until I turned 30 and I decided it was time for change because it was like, always kind of knew that I didn't want to stay in Germany. I always felt like, yeah, I love it. It's great. I have a good life. But I, there was always this like, but there must be something else. I want to go out into the world. And I was married to a musician and I thought really like we would go and travel the world together. And then when I realized that he was really ready to settle, I kind of took the leap and I left everything, my marriage, my job, and uh, yeah, decided to travel to Los Angeles of all places. It was actually a little bit decided for me. My ex-boss basically sent me there because he said, uh, well, what are you going to do? And I was planning to go to Australia. And he was like, Australia, like there's no music business in Australia. Why don't you go to LA? And I was like, America? I don't really want to go to America. But you know how life is. It's so amazing when you're open and it guides you. So then I was like, okay, well, if they want to, you know, help me for a couple of months and want me to make contact with them. I, I go to LA first. I can still go to Australia later. So here we are 25 years later. I still have not been to Australia, <laughs> but I actually uh, had a really, really profound experience in LA and I'm forever grateful that somehow the universe guided me there because when I actually arrived in LA, it was good that I was so far away from Germany because I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. And if it would have been like, 
something close to Germany, I probably would have taken the next flight back. <laughs> but here I was like in LA and I was like, no way back. So this is how I ended up in LA. And that was in 1996. Can you believe it? Oh my God. This is just, I love that story. Cause that's, <laughs> I gotta tell you, I draw so many similarities for what you said on different levels. Although when I came to the United States, it was by choice. Cause I always knew I didn't want to live in Germany. <laughs> yeah. Well, we share that then. I just oh my goodness. Would, have, would have not shown. And California is beautiful. I mean, I totally understand you. You know, it's gorgeous. <laughs> no. When you came to LA, is this where your yoga practice started? Yes, absolutely. Because I was so lost. Like, like I said, I arrived in LA and I thought like I made the biggest mistake of my life. And I was like, what am I going to do? I had no plan. I had no idea. And I met some people that photographers who asked me if I would want to represent them. So then that was my next thing that fell into place. So I was again in the music business, but from the other end. And uh, with all the chaos and all the feeling lost, uh, some friends, of course, in LA, everybody was going to yoga, took me to a yoga class. And I was very fortunate because back then there was not like such a big yoga scene like right now. It was really a few studios really amazing teachers so I was very lucky to right away feel connected to it because I found a teacher and the way she taught yoga was so much more than the physical practice she always um, had inspirational stories and she always was so uplifting and it was really like oh wow finally like here's some new ideas for living life and it was really like the philosophy and how it was applied to live and yoga off the mat that was really fascinating for me and that really became a lifeline to me where I was like okay I'm actually in the right place and instead of having to know it all all I need to do is like trust and soften soften the German that you know like the okay I'm gonna make things happen <laughs> and instead uh, you know trusting okay things will fall into place I just have to do my practice and it was really amazing because things really continued to fall into place and I really credit that to the awareness that I gained with the yoga and the trust of like okay there are actually signs all the time most of the time we're just so focused it has to be this way that we don't look left and right and that we miss out on a lot of synchronicities and opportunities because we're so like focused to have things go our way so what happened from there you take in yoga you loved your teacher and I can relate again to that story <laughs> and um so you said how could I make a, a a living with yoga or what happened there not at all I mean while I was in LA I was just really enjoying to live there and I was you know more or less successful and made, made a good living with like my work as a freelance producer with the photographers and really the yoga was just my personal practice I actually never thought I would become a teacher and then I moved to New York after like three and a half years in LA so I arrived in New York in March 2000 and my teacher in LA said, like, you're going to um, meet my friend who's a yoga teacher and I know you will love her. And her name is Elena Brower. So she became quite popular and successful and known. Back in the days, she was a fresh yoga teacher, but she also, she was so graceful and inspirational. And the way she spoke was so poetic and it was just like really beautiful. And I went in New York five times a week to yoga. And then I traveled to Costa Rica in December 2000. And I have to like 
maybe um, say that I had been to Montezuma in 1991, the first time with my then husband from Germany. And it was really the place that I had always envisioned to live. Like it was this tropical place under the palm trees, but it still felt like it's not for me. You know, it was like too out there. And there was a German woman who ran the hotel where I was staying. And she was basically really a big inspiration for me because I was looking at her and thinking like, she lives my dream life. And it was like, it's not for me, but it's not impossible. So I always had this vision of her. So then in 2000, in December, I knew like, I have to go back to Costa Rica. And I was supposed to meet a friend from Germany who like two days before we were supposed to meet, basically wrote me and said, I'm actually in Panama and I have met some amazing people and let's meet in Panama. And I was like, Panama? No, I need to go to Montezuma. But again, I was so upset that she would do that to me, but I was so clear, like, no, I need to get to Montezuma. Even if I'm by myself, I met some people nine years ago, I'll find my way. And in the end, again, it was perfect the way it all happened because if she would have been there with me, for sure, everything would have turned out different. So trusting again. So I arrived in Montezuma and there were some people I knew from like nine years before. And one of them was the Greek owner of the hotel Los Mangos, who I had met nine years before. And so I was like, okay, here's some people. And he was kind of like, okay, I stayed in his place. And then we would, he would take me to like dinners and we would like hang out just as friends. And then uh, three days before I left back to New York, we fell in love totally clicked so which would have not happened if my friend would have been there right absolutely <laughs> so there always has to be a little love story so I went back to New York and it was kind of like too short to really know this is it I'm in love but it was also like too intense to be like oh that was like a little vacation thing so I was back in New York and then I was like okay how, am I, how could I make this work and you know Costa Rica New York Back then was quite easy. It's like five hours flight. So I decided to just go back to check out what this was, this whole story. And with my job being a freelance producer, it was not a problem. And yeah, and then he owned the hotel and there was this pavilion in the back that used to be a restaurant and it had a beautiful wooden floor. And you have to think like 2001, imagine there was no yoga in Costa Rica, very, very little none of it in Montezuma. It was all like party and, you know, chilling out by the beach. So then I saw this place and they had just closed the restaurant and they didn't know what to do with the space. And then they said, well, you know, if you want to do something with this, go ahead. And then again, me connecting, I was like, well, here's a space in Costa Rica with a beautiful wooden floor. I love yoga. There's no yoga here. How could I bring yoga here? Well, I go back to New York and I asked Elena if she wants to do a retreat and I organize it. And I did. So I went back to New York and basically all the teachers I knew, I told them there's this amazing place in Costa Rica and do you want to come? I organize a retreat. And Elena was the first one who said, I'm coming. So we planned a retreat for November 2001. And I was going back and forth between New York and Costa Rica and still planning not to leave New York at all. And I spent the summer in Europe and then September 11 happened while I was actually in Europe, in Greece, no, in Morocco. Mm -hmm. So when I came back in the uh, beginning of October, everything was different. Like my whole life in New York was upside down. There was no work. And uh, it was, again, pretty clear sign. Okay, Dagmar, time to make the jump. 
And maybe it's time to like commit and move to Costa Rica. And if you don't like it, you can still go back to Germany. <laughs> That's kind of, you know. So then I went to Costa Rica and then Elena came. And of course, it was a very powerful retreat. She was based in New York. So she brought these New Yorkers who had just gone through like September 11. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then she asked me, so what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I'll stay here and I'll try to bring yoga people here. And then she was like, you're going to be an amazing teacher. I know you. I know your practice. I'll mentor you. Just start teaching. And I was like, me? You know, like... And it was very powerful because I felt always like, I don't know if you know, probably you know the book, The Artist Way. And she talks about being a shadow artist. And that was always the one thing in my head. I was like really enjoying supporting artists and musicians and yoga teachers. And it came so natural to me to do that because I'm such a connector. But I also always had this feeling of like, hmm, but what is my thing? What is my voice? What is my, where's my creativity? You know, because it was also easier to hide behind other people because if they screwed up, I could be like, well, it's not my photo. It's not my music, right? And as a yoga teacher, it's about you. It's your voice. It's your presence, you know? So it was very scary. But then again, I was like, oh, actually, I'm really liking this. So I started teaching in Montezuma twice a week, first to some friends, and they loved it, and I loved it. And then I did my first yoga teacher training. So you already see, like, I actually never, ever in my life applied for a job the classical way. It was always like things fell into place. I met people. I connected with people. And then they were like, oh, how about you do this? And I was like, I don't really know how to do this, but I'll just give it a try mm -hmm. and um, yeah so I've been in Montezuma now 20 years and I just closed the studio after 20 years because the hotel closed so that was a big shift in my life but actually now a couple months later I'm really also very clear that that was uh, that was it that was the perfect timing and uh, I'm really excited about all the new opportunities and things that are happening so, so you, that's you my story you currently live in Costa Rica. I do live in Costa Rica, but I'm going now in June to Europe and I'm going to spend five months in Europe because now I don't have a studio anymore to worry about. And, you know, I definitely want to be uh, a little bit more in Europe as well because I love Europe. You know, I mean, it's my, I really feel like my roots are still very much in Europe. And to have this balance would be a dream to spend time in Costa Rica, to spend time in Europe because they're so different, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just got, I just came back from Amsterdam for a month in Amsterdam and um, I have a new granddaughter and my son and his wife live oh. there. Have, they have moved there about a year ago. And uh, so they're like, Hey, do you want to babysit? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, well, how long would you want to come a month or two or three? I'm like, Ooh, no, no, let's not rush things. <laughs> <laughs> so we settled on a month and I worked half the time and just, you know, remote thanks. Thank God for the internet. I don't have to be stuck in my studio like you with yoga and teaching what I know best through the world. And I could do it from Amsterdam. And the other half, I just hung out with my husband and, you know, explored Amsterdam. And we also stopped by in Germany to visit my family. But, but there is, when you think about, I mean, I feel that way. And as a fellow German from your story so far, I don't want to live in Germany, but I love Italy. I want to oh. go to, I haven't been to Portugal. I love Spain. You know, I want to go to Denmark. I haven't been to Denmark. And it's like all these places over there. And when you live in the U.S. and for all the U.S. listeners, 
when you look at the US, it's like three Europe's all in one. So you never have to leave the US to see something different. But when you're in Europe, you go take the train or the plane for a couple hours and suddenly everybody speaks a different language. Everybody eats something different. Everybody looks somewhat different. And I think that is really exciting. Absolutely. And that's really what I miss. You know, I miss how easily you can be on the mountain skiing and then next week you can be uh, in a cool old city and then the next you can go to the beach and like, uh, you know, and the food is different everywhere. And it's just like, you know, and it's that's the same too. After 20 years in Costa Rica, I feel sometimes like the palm trees are falling on my head. And then I go to Europe and my friends are like longing for the palm trees. And I'm like, I actually just want to sit in a cafe and watch people and watch how different they are dressed and look and just like, and it gives me so much joy. And my friends are like, are you crazy? It's like, yeah, well, you always want what you are not having around all the time. And I absolutely agree with you on Italy. I actually going to teach three retreats in Italy while I'm going to Europe. And I'm really excited. And I have a feeling also like I really want to make myself available to more opportunities in Italy. Who knows, you know? So I have some connections there and I, I just love Italy. So like, yeah, they're very much the same. I don't think I would go back to live in Germany, but it's definitely really a place I love to return to. And um, yeah, so there's definitely a circle also after 20 years that I feel is like closing a little bit, you know, 20 years ago, it was just like, I just want to go out into the world and Germany like, Ooh, no. And now it's like, okay, there's some things about Europe that I really miss, you know? Yeah. Now going back to your yoga practice. And I know I, I taught yoga for three years before I uh, found Pilates. So I was similar to what you said. I, Actually, I hired somebody to teach uh, what was back then called as an umbrella, Hatha yoga. I don't know what she was teaching because I didn't know anything about yoga at that point. So that was 35 years ago, 33 years ago. And but the people in the club wanted to have yoga. And so this woman showed up. I'm like, do something. You know, what would it look like if I take yoga with you? And she did. And people loved her. She had a great way of teaching. So I would attend all of her classes to number one, also learn what yoga is actually doing for your body. How does it work? You know, how do people like it? Is this something that would go well over in this club? And she was there for maybe a year and a half or so, maybe two at the most. And then she decided from one day to the next, she didn't want to do this anymore and said, wrote me a letter and said, bye. I was like, what? I mean, no, like I give you a week so you can find somebody else. And I was, I was like, wow, what am I going to do? I'm not part of that yoga world. And back then the internet was not quite as it is right now. And so I said, all right, I'm going to just take my book, Light on Yoga. I take my teaching plan and I'm going to tell the people that I have no idea how to do this, but I'll give it my best. And they're like, you've been in all these classes, you know how to do all these poses, we see you and we're totally, we can, we will wait until you cue us all this. So that's how I started teaching yoga. And I, I taught for a year and my guide was light on yoga. That was my mantra with blocks and straps. And, and, and then a year later, I had found some other teachers that would take over those classes because then Pilates came my way and I totally fell in love with Pilates. But we're talking about you, but it was it was one of those moments, like you said, I wasn't prepared for that. I we really I'm like, ah, 
I know movement. I know the body. I can do this. Exactly. <laughs> so what style of yoga do you teach? And one of the things that I always I'm going to tie this into that whole uh, question is breath work is always been no matter what I do as a triathlete or, or as a yoga or Pilates teacher, always the breath has been really important in everything I teach. Tell me about your style and your relationship to the breathing that your philosophy of breath. Great question, because I absolutely agree. And for me, the breath is the most important part of the practice, you know, because when I started yoga, I was, I'm still teaching vinyasa yoga and vinyasa just means it's a more fluid uh, mm -hmm. sequence. We also do the chaturangas. Meanwhile, hatha yoga, for those who don't know the difference, hatha yoga, you don't really do these vinyasas. So it's a little, little more um, static. And so vinyasa is the flow. And vinyasa also means sequence. So it's like a sequence of flowing with the breath. And I like it because I like movement. If things are too static for me, then I get right back into my head. Mm -hmm. And like flow is like dance. I can let go and I can just feel myself. And when I teach my classes, they've become much more gentle now because I'm over 55 now. And I have a lot of women also in my age. And uh, and I really noticed after 20 years, like what is really important, like to do a headstand, to do a handstand, to bring your foot behind your head? No, absolutely not. The most important part of the practice is that you connect it to your breathing. And I always say when people come into poses, like sometimes you need to back off because if you're like trying too hard to get into a pose and breath is not flowing, you're not in right alignment. And alignment is everything. The only reason we do yoga, for me, in my philosophy, in my experience, is to create that beautiful opening so that the breath can flow. Because yogis call the breath prana, and prana means life force. So it's not just a breath we take in and out to like just be alive. It's really like bringing that vibrancy and that aliveness into the body. And there are many, many different techniques, breathing techniques, beginner ones and more advanced ones. There's also how we can work with the locks of the body, but the intention is always, and that's what I love so much about yoga, how can we create the best conditions in our body to thrive? Because when we thrive in our body and when we have enough breath and prana, our mind can also relax, our nervous system can relax. And so, Breath to me is really the key. And when I teach my classes, I take a lot of moments, you know, I'll do some poses and then it's like, okay, get to the front of the mat, close your eyes, just stand still, breathe. And if you have forgotten your breath, find it again. And then we continue to move. So, and, and I love it because it's in my own practice because sometimes when I do my own practice, I, I find myself in Trikanasana and I have no idea how I got there because I was so like, you know, doing like automatic movements because I'm, you know, I have such a long practice and my mind was not present at all. And I wasn't probably breathing properly either. And that's my practice these days. It's like, okay, wait, stay present, breathe and really use the breath. And it's so beautiful to have the breath as a tool to stay present and to regulate your nervous system. Like there's simple things like you can, you know, if you have a stressful day and you need to come down, very simple. You can inhale on a count of four, exhale on a count of eight, and this is already signaling your nervous system to come down. And vice versa, if you're having, like, if you're feeling a little sluggish and unmotivated, switch it. 
make really long inhalations. Really feel how the breath like opens your lungs and your chest and your whole body. And just then exhale regularly. But like focus, emphasis on the inhalation is energizing. Emphasis on the exhalation is calming. And for example, when I'm having trouble to sleep, all I do is like I lie and I put my hands on my belly and I really tune into the warmth of my hands and my breath. And I breathe into the warmth of my hands. So these are like simple tools, all connected to breath, really. And they are under the umbrella of yoga, or that's how I learned them. And that's what I love about yoga it's so much. It's not like, okay, we'll do headstand and handstand and warrior one and warrior two. I mean, at some point, you've got to go beyond these poses, right? And that's, I think, what comes when you, when you have a longer practice, when you're getting older. And uh, that's really my biggest passion to share. And then a few years ago, I also trained in yin yoga, which is the complementary practice where you actually hold poses for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. But they're all, you're not using your muscles. All the poses are um, targeting the, um, this, uh, the connective tissue and basically are very much also meditative and bringing up your stories. And so they're really, it's a big practice of being still and acceptance, surrendering, softening, which we all need so much and really good also for the nervous system. So I'm playing with these two different energies connect everything with the breath and that's pretty much my style I you know say. i i like that you said it's not about handstands and shoulder stands and crow pose and god knows what because that's what many of the listeners see on instagram same thing with yoga they see uh, with pilates they see those really advanced poses which look beautiful but they take practice and sometimes a younger body to do them just the way you see them and it's all about, here's the pose. Look at how cool the pose is. And then you as the lowly, like if I would try to do any of those poses, I'd be just totally falling on my nose if I try to headstand right now. But like you said, the breath now, especially in our age, is more important than or equally important, but less important than an advanced pose. Absolutely. Yeah. We breathe less. We're stressed more. We are not breathing, as I found out from my client today, I'm like, please stop holding your breath. And, and we're talking after we're after or still in the pandemic, but we feel now the aftermath of two years of not socializing. And people are stressed out to the wazoo. And as we get older, we take those stresses, I think, even harder on the body. Absolutely. And when you teach the breath, do you say inhale through the nose, out through the mouth? Because you gave us a couple of examples, but how would you do that? How do you, or is there just breathe? Well, in yoga, you breathe actually only through the nose, except if you do like, there are some spe specific techniques like a cooling breath when you exhale through the mouth or so. But in general, the regular breath to practice is in through the nose and out through the nose. And um, the yogic breathing, for example, also called Ujjayi breath. Um, it, it's the uh, ocean sounding breath, which comes from the back of the throat. And you know, it's as if you would be fogging a mirror and you would make the sound, but you do it with the mouth closed and it's very calming, very soothing. But you know, I, I don't really practice a do Ujjayi breath during my whole practice. I think 
really important is just the awareness of the breath and to notice where the breath is restricted. Like I start my classes always with like sitting tall and, you know, the spine is our biggest energy channel. And, you know, when we stand and sit tall, it's really nice to feel the breath flowing up and down. And a lot of people breathe only into the belly and never up into the chest. Other people breathe only up here in the chest and never in the belly. And so this is more about bringing awareness to all these places where we hold tension and how we can release it by simply breathing and maybe playing with the length of the breath, depending on what we want to achieve, or we, we really consciously only breathe into the belly, or there's a beautiful breath meditation where you breathe in through the nose, down into the heart, and then exhale from the heart. Imagine the breath going up through the crown of your head. And that's beautiful. But the idea again is really to like bring the awareness through the nose down into the heart and then breathe into the heart and feel that expansion. I was just practicing with you while you were saying that. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, yes, I love this so much. <laughs> but with the breath and everything we talked about, it's not so much about doing the pose, getting into the pose, forcing yourself to get in a pose, which is maybe somebody's goal, but a lot of the breath and the breath brings a lot of awareness and clarity to ourselves, to our lives. And uh, you had said, you know, let's, uh, as we grow older, let's cut out the BS and live more focused on adding more good stuff in our, to our lives and let go of old things that no longer serves us. What, what do you want to add to that? Well, I mean, you, I think you already made the point. I think what is important is that we have a tendency to always be so judgmental on ourselves and so hard on ourselves and that we typically always focus on the things we want to change. We're always like, I'm not good enough. I still need to work out more, gain more weight, do another diet, do this, stop drinking coffee, stop smoking, stop, you know. And it's such a, I don't want to say wrong, but it's such a different focus if you shift the focus and you think not about the things you want to stop, but you want to, you think about, all the things that are nourishing that you want to add on, which is like, if you want to stop drinking coffee, drink more water. If you want to stop smoking, I believe very much it has to do with the breath. Start to breathe more intensely or more consciously. You know, if you feel like certain people are draining your energy, surround yourself more with the people who lift you up. And then the other people will automatically, you don't even have to worry about it. You will automatically not see them that often. So they will drain your energy less. You know, it doesn't even have to be the drama that you have to have discussions with these people or whatever. So it's like really shifting the focus on all the things that nourish you, the food that nourishes you, the practices that nourishes you, the community that nourishes you. And that really is, um, it's, it's such a, it sounds so simple. It's actually not so simple because it means also cutting the bullshit and learning to say no and to set your boundaries. But I feel... If we're like in our 50s and we still haven't learned that, it's about time, <laughs> right? Because it's like, okay, I mean, I feel getting older, that's really the benefit in my own life. I'm going to be 56 end of this month. And uh, that's really, yeah, I feel, you know, not that I'm perfect at all. It's, I'm still struggling and setting boundaries and speaking my truth. But that is really my practice because like, if not now, I'm not going to wait until I'm 70, and I care less now what people think of me 
and you know and i i don't have to prove anything i you know for me now it's really like i want to live a peaceful life and i want to have a nourishing life and i want to feel good about myself and my relationships and i want to know that like I did something good and, you know, and I don't want to worry too much about the world and what other people think and do and, you know. And compare myself to others. Like when I used Instagram before, like, it's okay if whatever the person you admire on Instagram is inspiring you with those poses and say, oh, at least to check out yoga and, and, you know, get into the practice, find yourself a teacher or start dabbling in your own community at home. But it's not the end all. And I love that you said, you know, we're getting older. I don't want to be dealing with BS. I want to have friends that are nice to me, that support me instead of tear, tear me down. And now in our second half of life, it's the perfect opportunity to pivot, to, as you said, and we're getting to that now, is stop playing small. What do you mean by that? While that adds to the other thing is like, we, we have been so conditioned not to shine and to like, you know, especially I feel it's also a very European thing. It shifted really for me when I moved to America, because I remember like when I moved to LA, that was something I really, really loved. I have to say that um, about the culture, because I mean, I didn't have any experience representing photographers, but they were like, okay, sure. Why not? And I was like, Ooh, I can be whoever I want to be. And nobody's like asking me first how many diplomas I have and how many years I've been working in this. So that's something really, really good. But I think the way we grew up in Europe is very much like, well, you know, don't bother anybody. Don't ask too much. You know, it's like if you ask too much, you're selfish. And, uh, you know, who wants to be that person? So we all kind of like make ourselves small to fit in. We're afraid of change. So we, you know, we're afraid to leave the relationship or that job because rather like, you know, stay small. And I think at some point it's like, you know, you're not helping anybody else if you're keeping yourself small. And that was really a shift for me because like, the funny thing is we keep ourselves small and then we watch movies with superheroes and we're like, oh, that's a hero. He's so cool. Like, well, how does he get the courage? You know, it's like, well, be your own superhero in your own small or big way. But at some point, I feel we need to share our gifts. And we really, especially in these times that can be so heavy. The world is so different now. We really need to like uplift each other. And we uplift each other by, you know, by empowering each other and by sharing our stories. And but it has nothing to do with being selfish. It's rather really service to share your story, to share your gifts, because you might touch another person and inspire them to go and finally create the life they've been dreaming of or create little changes. And it doesn't have to be that you have to move countries or leave your relationships. But, you know, even in your daily life, what are really the little changes you need to do? And a very important point I find is the integrity, because I feel also when you do that, you start trusting yourself more. Because if you keep telling yourself, I'm going to do this, going to do this, 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 and you do none of these things, there's always this feeling of like, oh, I wanted to do all these things. And again, I didn't do it. So that again, keeps yourself small. But mm -hmm. if you do little steps, and you get excited about it, and you get good response, and you find your tribe, and you find people that are actually really responding that are, you know, 
it lifts you up and it's like okay well this is what we can all do lift each other up to be like little beacons of light in this world that can feel so heavy and so not peaceful you know i mean and that's really something i ask myself so often these days because i watch the news you know and i'm european so i feel so close to what's happening over there and people say to me really you want to go to europe now like don't you want to just sit it out in costa rica it's like no this might be my job that i come with a little bit of that costa rican jungle sunshine energy to europe and hopefully not lose it right away and teach my retreats and create the space where we can come together and will it be different than five years ago when we all went to ibiza of course it will be different but it will be real and we are going to have just a chance to share our stories and to like breathe together and like just let go of all the things that we have on our chest you know and i really feel that's my mission and uh and therefore, like whenever I have these doubts of like, well, who am I now to do this or to say that or to share this? It's like, who am I not to? Like if I, you know, then I shift my focus on the people that maybe going to be inspired or learn something. And that will help me to like move beyond the fear of like, oh, who cares? Or like, you know, so that would be my really my my tip, my wish for everyone to take a little bit of inspiration from that, you know, and it's like. Again, you can be, you can do it with small steps. Can you give us some, bigger. give us some examples, Dagmar. Give us a couple of examples of those small steps that somebody listening to the show would say, oh, this is all great. You know, maybe I started with Dagmar's breathing, but I have to rewind the audio. <laughs> so as they're here at this, at almost the end of our interview, what are three things that they can do to find their voice and live their truth or find their energy or build more integrity and resilience? What would you tell them? Find the right community. For example, not to promote my retreats, but for example, if you go on a yoga retreat, that is something, something that's the most powerful practice because people come together and at the first day everybody's kind of a little insecure and like, who are these people and how am I going to do? And then you really literally every day because they start sharing their stories and they have nothing to lose because maybe they're never going to see these people again you see they become so much brighter and so much more vibrant from the practice but also from the sharing that they all go back home with the biggest intention okay now i'm gonna i'm gonna continue the practice and then they fall off usually so but to find exactly yeah little things like really ask yourself like what makes me feel most alive and how can i do more of that what is the food that makes me sluggish like if i eat a big pizza i might really enjoy it but i sleep different than if i eat like like a really nice vegetable soup or something those are little steps very practical like really tune in notice like oh i just met this person we had such a fantastic di uh, dinner time together we shared stories i feel so like uplifted like hang out with that person more compared to the person that you come home and you're like oh my gosh it was such a draining evening those are simple practical steps you know and uh food people practices you know maybe start to commit to like a 10 day uh, 10 minute meditation every day i for example offer one i'm happy to share that with um, your listeners that is a jungle meditation and you think like oh 10 minutes maybe not enough 10 minutes is good because it is enough because 10 minutes will change your day. And often we're like, we're like going too big. We're like, I need to start meditating now every day for an hour. I don't have the time either, you know? So 
small steps in a sense what is really doable for you what are like simple things and you know that you can start tomorrow that you don't put the goals so high that you're not going to achieve them and then you're going to beat yourself up for setting high goals that you're not achieving so really like okay i don't know instead of going to my office and taking take out i'll make myself a salad and i bring it to the office and i see how i feel if I'm like eating my own salad at the office, maybe if you're not inspired, there's tons of resources to find like nice recipes. So, you know, make it fun, get inspired, inspire others. And there you go. A simple change that you do for yourself that might inspire others to, to join in, you know, or you see something inspiring in somebody else and you join in. You know, These are great tips because I always t- truly believe too, the smaller the steps, the better off you are in the long run. Most of the workouts that I teach are not longer than 15 minutes for at-home exercises. Because people are like, I don't have time. I don't have 20 minutes. I don't have 30 minutes. Once like at a retreat, like with you, when they're there in the moment with everybody else, it's a different story. But when you're by yourself and you're like, I need to get this workout in tiny, like you said, you know, bring your lunch, you know, create one healthy lunch. Doesn't have to be anything. But I mean, I ate lunch before this interview. I said, oh, I got 30 minutes. So I eat what I always eat. I have a whole slice of whole green bread with organic turkey avocado and some veggies on the side. That's literally my lunch every day, guys. So if you always wondered what Heike eats for lunch, super simple. And it's boring to some, but, or like Dagmar loves the salad. So she brings her salad with, but she can choose what she puts in. And it's so simple to go there in this, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming and it doesn't have to take all day and it doesn't have to take a lot of prep work. And the nice thing too is when you prepare your meal, it can be totally peaceful. Putting that salad together, you're taking your time and you decide what you put in there. And then you sit there and you mindfully eat your lunch. How does that sound? What do you think, Dagmar? I think that sounds great. And I think that's yoga too, really. That is yoga because that's, you know, the, the body, I think, you know, we all start with yoga thinking it's about a physical practice. And at some point then you're like, And now what? Now I know warrior one and warrior two and warrior three, what else? And then it's really like, okay, so what else can I take from the mat into my life? And how you act on the mat is very much how you act in life. You know, those people that don't want to be in Shavasana and like already get up before Shavasana, I have, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's what they do. They're always on the run, you know, and the people, yeah, I mean, Okay, for those of you who don't know what Shavasana is, it's definitely my favorite pose at the end too. You lie on your back with your palms up and you just surrender. It is so good. And sometimes you can fall asleep too. I know you're not supposed to fall asleep, right, Dagma? You can. Sometimes you fall asleep and that's actually the most restorative sleep. You know, like how they say when you, when you want to take a nap, you should have like a bundle of keys in your hand. And the moment you really fall into the sleep, you're going to let the key go and you wake up because of the sound from the key and that's actually the most powerful nap you can take because if the nap is too long you don't want to get up anymore so i mean there are so and that's the thing too we live in times where there's so many beautiful resources so find your resources and i know it can be overwhelming because there's a million people offering like coaching of any kind and recipes and different diets and and dietary ideas and what you should eat and how you should do it but you know be playful and trust that if you're open 
things will come your way and wave at you and you might not see them. So be open to like look a little bit left and right and uh, and really, yeah, and just tune in. I am on Instagram. That's actually my most active social media platform um, and uh, under Montezuma Yoga. I also have a Facebook group, a private Facebook group that's called Spark Your Life. Very funny because your, your offering is Pursue Your Spark. So there's another... <laughs> So I like that because I really feel like, you know, practice is about bringing that spark back. So they can find me on Facebook under this group. And then, of course, I have my website, dagmarstrenberg.com, which connects to my YouTube channel, my online Zoom classes, my beautiful retreats, going to Italy, um, still some spaces left for Sardinia in October. And uh, yeah, so you find basically all the ways to connect mm -hmm. with me. And you can also sign up on my website for a little freebie. That's three videos. That's a perfect start because it's a, it's a 10 minute meditation. It's a vinyasa yoga video that's filmed in Costa Rica and it's a yin yoga sequence about softening. So if, if people want to sign up for that, it's free. It will be a super nice start to get into this practice of like slowing down, connecting. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Dagmar. We were, we were like, on a roll today so here we are we could talk for hours i know but here the people know now the listeners know now how to reach you and connect with us so i want to thank you again coming to us with all your wisdom about yoga and much more than that and i also want to tell any every time i say this after an interview that i want the listeners to reach out to us this is great if you go for a walk and you listen to the episode, but then go home or on your phone, reach out and tell us how this episode impacted you, what your thoughts are. Did you reach out to Dagmar? Did you connect with her also on Instagram? And the post will be up for you to also see on Instagram, Facebook, and all my other social media channels so you can connect with us. But we do really want you to reach out to us on Instagram and tell us what this meant to you? Did that ring a bell? Did you take a chance? Did you start saying no? Anything that comes to mind, we want to hear from you. And peeps, I tell you, I'll check Instagram all the time. So if you leave a message for us, Dagmar will also see it because she's tagged in those posts and we'll get back to you. So with that, I want to say thank you so much again, Dagmar, for coming on the show today. And we'll see all of you next time on the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.